0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor, and in today's episode, we'll be breaking down the fifth episode of season four, the final season of Succession, an episode called Kill List. After my episode breakdown, I'll be joined by Sona, my co-host, to discuss the episode in greater detail. Just a few show notes. Remember that we are also covering Yellow Jackets more than halfway through that season, and expect to see some bonus episodes throughout the rest of this month and following month. Many interesting new titles to review, and I'll be providing some context here for Mrs. Davis, the ongoing Peacock Science Fiction AI series, the new adaptation of Fatal Attraction, the new miniseries adaptation of Dead Ringers, starring Rachel Weiss, and other television and theatrical releases through the end of April and through May. And then we'll have some new shows that we'll be covering starting in June, and I'll announce those later as we get closer to those start dates. So subscribe so you know when all those things become available and recommend this to your friends and family any way you can to help us grow the show. Okay. So kill list. As the episode begins, we see Kendall is rolling up to work. Now, finally, the CEO of the organization or co-CEO. He's one of the CE bros. I believe he's listening to the exact same Jay-Z album, The Blueprint, that he was near the beginning of this series back when he thought he was going to be Designated as CEO and now in that role, but maybe some irony here with his father being pa- having passed away, the moment is a little sour. As I mentioned in last week's episode, there's a lot of mirroring happening here within these episodes, but also mirroring back to earlier episodes of the series itself. I'm not sure what they're trying to do with the show here that each one of these episodes represents a day or or so. That's what they're implying here. But the idea that we have Kendall showing up at the office just to check in, and then is going to fly all the way to Sweden, and then we see him in Sweden, this has got to be spanning multiple days. I mean, they not only have to travel many hours, they then obviously actually sleep (laughs) and have a second day here. So this one day per episode mapping that they supposedly have implied for this show is not quite right, although this is still a very compressed time period. In these early scenes, we see Kendall trying to show strength here and show that he has the organization under control. We find out later that immediately after his father's death that the stock price had crashed about 20% and now has rebounded about halfway back. Once again, this correlates pretty closely to Apple stock after the unexpected death of Steve Jobs. There's that initial shock, but then the company is profitable and operational and most of that investment comes back in. In these early scenes, we also find out that the brothers are very involved with this giant blockbuster that apparently is bleeding cash and was supposed to be a series tentpole for them, and now looks like it might be a total flop. This speaks to something that does correlate to the real world, which is News Corp had spun off its Fox, 20th Century Fox, the studio and the Fox network, its entertainment assets in general, and sold them off to Disney. And it just goes to exemplify the complexity of how many different types of businesses that Fox was in until they streamlined. The second thing it relates to specifically within the show is that Kendall, he's way more interested in the day-to-days of the entertainment side of the business, even wanting to get involved with the production of this film, something that Logan probably would, could care less about back in the day. Logan's focus was almost entirely on ATN. Carl, Frank, and Jerry are concerned about how prepared Kendall and Roman are to speak to Madsen, and this is when everybody gets a notification that surprise, Matson wants to see everybody. They want to see if there is a cultural match between the executives of both companies out at the Gojo annual retreat. As we arrive on the tarmac, everyone's getting ready to fly out to Sweden. There's an entertaining interaction here between Tom and Greg on the tarmac. Greg, once again, finds his way into all of these <laughs> was not invited, we find out later on, but somehow got the green light from the siblings. Greg wants to know, why would they meet in Norway instead of Sweden? Tom goes, who cares? All descendants from the same rapists. (laughs) Greg's excited. He wants to see some of the hotties he's never been to Norway before. And Tom goes, you don't get this. Matson has him heading out there to find out who is going to get fired, who gets onto the kill list. Greg starts to worry. Greg wonders if Tom is worried as well. Tom says, oh, no, I have ATN. I'm just operational guy. I'm more concerned with whether I'm going to get axed by the cast of Bugsy Malone, (laughs) which is the siblings. By the way, Bugsy Malone very strange movie from the mid-70s, starring a very young Jodie Foster, I believe the same year that she was in Taxi Driver, just a teenager, and Scott Bayo from Happy Days, where they played gangsters. It was a full-on gangster movie set in the Prohibition era, but among these kids. It was like the movie Brick, before Brick, where all the roles are played by children. And it ends with a Tommy Gunn massacre, by the way, where everybody gets shot with puff pastries or something like that. A very, very strange film, but definitely worth tracking down if it's available, probably to stream somewhere, I'm sure. He's basically calling them children, children gangsters. Maybe he's onto something with their childish psychology. Another funny detail here, as the plane's about to take off, Carl puts on compression socks. (laughs) Does not want the same thing happening to him in flight that happened to Logan. On the plane, Roman and Kendall are mostly talking about the budget overages and the early edit of this incredibly expensive science fiction film which apparently about the first two hours of this three hour film has this robot inside of a cave sleeping. (laughs) And the action doesn't come till very, very late. Shiv is very concerned about these negative stories about their dad that's leaking to the press and trying to find out who might be leaking these. There's an interesting moment here where Kendall calls in Hugo, of course, the person who's leaking the information and on the request of Kendall himself and saying, if we find out who these leaks are, we're going to ax them immediately. Correct, Hugo? Hugo's like, "Sure, yes." And you see that roman has a little look at hugo little suspicious look and of course shiv is suspicious as well kendall's actually uncomfortable with shiv getting so fixated on this and it's very interesting shiv is quietly has so many different agendas throughout the course of this episode and all of them this is basically an episode where everybody is speaking to everybody else nothing they say to each other is ever true and everything they say is purely to manipulate the other person so kendall is definitely invested in this film Maybe too much so, but it's also a distraction. So he doesn't have to have the conversation about what he's doing to his dad's reputation. And he wants to get rid of Shiv. So he says, hey, you know, me and Roman, we can kill Tom as a present to you. This cuts close to the bone. She doesn't want to admit the fact that she has this antagonism towards Tom. After all, she's the one who initiated the breakup. And this scares her off. But once again, it's a truth that masks a lie. Meanwhile, the executives are also doing their oppositional research. On the Gojo executives, and they're very pressed by them and somewhat intimidated by them. But Jerry, maybe proving that she is the right person to eventually take on the CEO role, is able to calm them down and marshal them back into to being on point.
1: Did you see their deputy of comms is a ski jumper, ex-Winter Olympian? Hmm. Yeah, I saw the ski jumper. You can hardly stand up. You're fucked. I mean Fulbright's coming out of their ass. NASDAQ master race. They're just a bunch of really
2: impressive, very serious young
1: people. Did you see what happened when they acquired the video game publisher? Less than 10% retention. They went through the place like firehands. Incredibly meritocratic. Insular, weird, brutal motherfuckers and we're dead. Hey, come on, guys, listen. Sure, they're young and they're fit, but
0: they're European. They're soft
1: hammocked in their social security safety nets, sick on vacation mania and free healthcare. They may think they're Vikings, but we've been raised by wolves, exposed to a pathogen that goes by the name Logan
2: Roy, and they have no idea what's coming to them.
0: Okay? We're snakes on a plane. (laughs) I love Hugo calling them all snakes on a plane. They arrive at this beautiful locale, out in Norway. Shiv asks, what's the way to Chairman Matson's re-education camp? (laughs) Roman and Kendall end up dorming next to each other in these elevated little cabins. Little being the operative word. Roman calls Kendall and Kendall wonders whether the size of the quarters is some kind of psychological game. I love Roman's comment here that when a bear shits in the wood, he uses one of these. (laughs) As everybody takes the first of many gondola rides in this episode. Frank is worried how prepared the brothers are to do this negotiation. And this is very smart here. Make the stakes very clear to the audience. Just a smart writing move here. We see what the anchor point is. They want $144 million. Every million dollars over that is a huge win. Anything under that is unacceptable. If they can get the $145, $146 per share, that is, everyone will be very happy. Very important that they set the stakes here because you get to see when some of these numbers get thrown around later, how those numbers actually end up trapping these brothers into decisions they may not want to make. Everybody does momentarily seem to have their head on straight. And then the minutia of their lives keeps creeping in. Firstly, we have Connor calling up. He's freaking out. Marshall wants to put Logan in a kilt for his funeral. Connor's worried about this. He thinks it's going to hurt him in the polls. It'll make his dad look weak. They're just worried about the optics of Logan in a kilt and he's still worried about his getting his one percent. Connor wants carte blanche to make the decisions. And he doesn't want and hear anything from the siblings if he does. He gets the okay. And I guess we'll get the payoff to a lot of these things until next week. All the executives intersect intentionally at the brunch. As the Roy Co folks arrive, so does Madsen's Gojo team. Tom immediately tries to ingratiate himself, doing his usual schmoozy thing, which is so transparent. More and more so now that he has no true power, he feels like Greg pinwheeling around looking for any place to land. And he offers, if you're looking for any Deadwood, come to me. Although initially Hugo was psyched out by this skier being in his comparable role, he now starts to think, hey, he blew it. He lost his opportunity to win that medal. Maybe he doesn't perform well under pressure. I also really find this entertaining that despite setting himself up as maybe having the upper hand here, he ends up getting humiliated by the fact that everybody just piles their food (laughs) onto his plate, which makes him look like he's just greedily hoarding carbs at the brunch. And I do wonder if this is what gets him fired by the end. It certainly didn't help. Matson is playing so many games here and he obviously is much better at it and enjoys it so much more than Kendall, for example. And Roman maybe could have gone mano a mano with him, but is still just decimated by the death of his dad. But one of the first of many manipulations here, Matson shows up very casually dressed and goes, oh, look, you brought everybody to this negotiation. I just brought me. I just brought me. After he explicitly asked to see everybody, Matson even takes away the fact that they're in this sensitive moment following the death of their dad by revealing here that he had found his dad after his suicide in his BMW, engine still running. At least that's what's implied here. And I assume it's true because they have a dossier on this guy. So they would have called him out if he's just like, well, that's disgusting to say that in this moment, if it wasn't true. So I'm pretty sure this is actually true and pretty shocking. They also tease him on America's disinterest in soccer, saying, hey, I heard your team did pretty good. Good job with with your kicky ball team. Kendall does pretty well here initially, making fun of how ostentatious this locale is. It's like a wedding banquet hall for billionaires, he basically calls it out. But then Mattson immediately takes control once again with a very interesting strategy. Last week, I would have probably assumed he was going to try to lowball them given what's happened to the stock. But instead, he goes the other way. He makes them an offer if presented to the board, there's no way anyone would turn this down. Once again, what's that anchor point price? 144. He offers them 187. They literally are speechless. But of course, he wants ATN as well. ATN has to get folded back in and he immediately starts pressuring them. Hey, I want a counteroffer. I want a counteroffer. What's your counter? What's your counter? The brothers at this moment are on opposite sides of this. Roman doesn't want to give up ATN. It's his dad's legacy. Kendall, maybe for a moment here at least, thinking I could be out of this completely. I can make more money than I possibly could have imagined and be out of this thing finally. And also thinking as the more business-minded of these two, there's no going back from this. If I present this to the board, they're going to say yes, and the story's over. Also interesting here that Matson does try to get in their heads momentarily when he says, I'm going to buy everything for one single dollar. Making a joke, obviously, at that point, but then insulting them and saying that the asset is worth nothing without your dad, and then setting that expectation and then shocking them with that really high price. It's the rope dope <laughs> They're punch drunk. They don't know what to say at this moment, and they need to take a breather, which is a smart thing to do. He tries to pressure them into saying yes right there in the moment, but they do take the pause. They need to run this by the boiled eggs, as um, Madsen referred to the, the old executives in the other room. The executives are very happy to hear this price. Once again, without any emotional attachment to this, everybody's getting way more money than they possibly could have imagined. And if you're worried about losing your status at ATN, go build something yourself, everybody. (laughs) Not knowing how the negotiation went, by the way. This happens multiple times here. Maybe the running joke of the whole episode. They're like, you guys did an incredible job. Your dad would be so proud of you. Look at the price you got. (laughs) What an incredible job you've done. The brothers are walking through the woods. They need to run this all by shiv. And they're not idiots here, by the way. This is the right thought process they're making here. Is this a trap? Is Matson trying to get them to agree to that price and then remove ATN in the 11th hour and then overprice ATN, which then drives the final price on the other assets down under 144 by subtracting the ATN price? So should they ask for even more? And then the subtraction gets them back to that price just in case as a contingency. So they're asking the right questions. They are absolutely at this moment. When they catch up the shiv, her first priority is the fact that she's found out that ATN has been coordinating with Menkins including him in the morning meetings. She's worried that ATN will lose its editorial credibility if they're coordinating with the Republican candidate. A couple of interesting points here. First of all, within the context of the show, she obviously is on the outside looking in and she's been nitpicking even previously. She's been trying to find things to complain about because she knows that she really is the one in the weakened position here without the actual role of CEO. And in the real world correlation, this is something that Fox News got caught up in when they were coordinating with the Trump administration before the election, basically coordinating with the Republican National Committee for talking points on their TV shows and news coverage. And similarly, some folks were complaining that Fox was losing its status as a legitimate news source. Although the question remains, if that was ever their intention. And similarly here, did Logan ever want to appear as being unbiased or did he want to be a kingmaker and everybody kind of knew his agenda very interesting here that shiv ends up having a pretty powerful maybe realignment with the future of the company and maybe that's something that indicates a direction for the future because in this moment when they run it by her and say hey what do you want to do she says sure get rid of it sell it all i don't care
2: you think he's just trying to fuck with us
3: he actually wants ATN, or is this a move so that we have to subtract and he goes low
2: who cares what do we want
3: well, we want to keep it, right? We do Dad's Deal, keep ATN, we add PGN, and you, me, and Shiv, you know? The three fucking tiers, hey. Uh, so I just got a bad rumor in my ears. What is uh, it? Apparently ATN has an open line to Jared Menken's campaign team, and we are just dialed in on editorial morning conference. Did you know that? Uh, I did not know that. Bro, if this comes out, this blows any credibility.
2: Ooh, yep. It's not okay. Yeah. Rome.
3: Yeah, I don't know, Fucking Sid. Sid's an operational charge. It's a mutual back scratch. Rome?
1: Even Dad had a line.
2: Look, Shiv, we can, we should, we should get into that. It's not okay. But, uh... But, we do need to focus. Big picture, we should discuss what do we think on ATN folded back in.
3: Uh... ATN back yeah. in? Fuck. Uh, well then, yeah sure fine get rid of it it's a toxic asset uh it's also dad's pride and joy he died trying to keep yeah well let's just keep one of his old sweaters that's racist
2: you know there's leverage and not looking too thirsty he needs to know that if there's no deal we're good we survive thrive
3: but do we can we
2: well Ken and I have been doing a pretty good job
3: in the last 24 hours price stabilized markets seem to like us yeah the markets like that you're selling to Matson
0: once again the two-sided agenda of everybody and the show. Shiv's decision-making here, she's on the outside looking in. She's taking everything overly personal. She also doesn't like legitimately this potentially fascist candidate may win the presidency. All these things are bothering her. If she can't be the CEO, if she can't run the business herself, something she probably still does want to some extent, she's probably more than happy to just walk away, take the money and run. Meanwhile, as everybody's powwowing around the fire pits, and mingling. There's all these conversations going, trying to figure out what is actually going on, how much of this is real, how much of it is negotiation. Tom has sent Greg out to schmooze among the youngsters and come back with any kind of rumors that might be able to be helpful. Tom offers up that the rumor is that when Matson hooks up, he puts in headphones and listens to podcasts and just lays back <laughs> and lets his partner do all the work. First of all, this is a very well-known rumor about a very famous actor. <laughs> I won't Get into gossip here if you don't know who it is, but very, very famous actor. Tom thinks, well, how does that help me in any way? And he basically tells Greg that he's going in, he's going to make a move, but if he needs Greg to come in as a punching bag, he'll give him a sign. While Tom is trying to get into that inner circle, Greg goes and circles with the siblings. He's trying to give him a new name, the quad, the quad agenda, (laughs) the family. He comes up with a bunch of these different names that he's trying to make them stick. Tom is so desperate in this interaction, trying to schmooze Madsen. And he mentions, you know what? We were just discussing, will France make it? No, he doesn't mean soccer. (laughs) He means, will France survive as a nation, considering all their internal strife? Tom, not up on his international political situation, but comes up with probably an earnest assessment of America's concern with France's fortunes. He basically says, the US doesn't give a fuck. Probably true. And we have our own. We'll build another one if we need to. This is when he signals for Greg to come in. Greg gets brought into the conversation and actually says, you know what? He knows a little bit about this. He's not willing actually at this moment, importantly, I think, to just to put up with Tom's shit. This gets both of them mocked by Madsen and they start speaking in Swedish, mocking them twice over. He says, who is this guy anyway? Are you? Were you on my list? And they start making fun of them. Oh, do you think they're all related? Maybe everybody here is related. Kendall does take an affront to this and Madsen apologizes but says, hey, we're just passing the time until you come up with a counter offer. Kendall goes, oh, you want to do this right now? Let's do it right now. He says, dad's original deal was no ATN. So that stands, no ATN. We think you're going to mismanage it. You don't know you're buying. And we are still doing 50-50 cash and stock. So if you drive down the company, it hurts our bottom line. So the answer is no. This is where Kendall, who up until this point, I think is willing to make fold ATN in, and Roman's the holdout really, where Madsen starts to play Kendall here, but maybe in the wrong way. Madsen says, we think that there's a way back for ATN, a way back. Kendall starts to bristle. Oh, a way back for our hugely successful and influential news operation. Madsen says, I think there's a way we make this brand huge, not just geared at angry old people. There's a limit to the audience for angry old people. You make it gray as he describes it, Bloomberg, cheap and huge. I do like all of Matson's assessment here. Kendall saying, you don't know what you're buying. You don't understand how this thing works. He's like, I've watched it. Lots of yelling, lots of thick veins. <laughs> also, when Kendall was pushing back about, you don't know what you're buying. You don't know what this brand actually is. Matson goes, oh yeah, I like your Volter deal. Remember Volter? Two critiques there of Kendall. One, that the Volter deal did not pay off. And two, that in buying Volter or trying to buy Volter, Kendall was making the same assessment. Didn't he say the exact same things at that point that ATN was too focused on maintaining loyalty among this limited audience? And this is when things go from bad to worse. Kendall goes, we are a trusted brand. Matson says, you're a parts shop. You have good parts and a bad brand.
2: Honestly, we're concerned about the fit, about your vision. And with half our value coming in stock, 50-50 split, we stand to lose a lot of value if you screw it up, so nope. it's complicated.
1: It's not complicated. I've seen it. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of yelling. Small men, big veins. Fat wallets. Sure, but long term, I don't think news for angry old people works. I don't. I would fold it in. Fat pipe that shit. Make it more Bloomberg gray. No? Simple, cheap,
2: huge. Ikea to fuck. Dude, I gotta say, I think maybe you don't understand what you're buying. Well, and maybe that's why there's a disconnect here on value. Oh,
1: sure, lecture me, Volter guy.
2: Hey, it took a big swing. If you look at experiences, you look at the high ceiling on parks, cruises, IP turboed residential from a trusted brand. Sure. <laughs>
1: Did you call it a trusted brand? Yeah. 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 No, no. It's a parts shop. Good parts, yes. Bad brand.
2: Gotta say, I just think fundamentally you're wrong.
1: Yeah, well, I don't care what you think. You're a tribute band. We OK? Yeah, we're OK. We're OK. I'm just trying to make you fucking rich.
2: Already rich.
1: OK, well, on the offer, I think I am what I am what I am. Okay, Popeye,
3: well, uh, we'll check in, take it back to the board, right? Hate to see this break down.
1: Yeah, let's make it work. Let's make it work.
0: And great acting here. You see, Kendall goes cold. And at this very moment, I wrote down in my notes, Kendall's going to blow up this deal. (laughs) You knew immediately, this is where Kendall, his impulsive, addictive side of his personality is going to take over. Now, Madsen definitely wins the day here. But you have to wonder if he could have done it at a lower price, not only insulting the brand that their dad built, but then saying, I don't care what you think, you're a tribute band. And then trying to simplify it all saying, hey, look, I'm just trying to make you guys rich. (laughs) And Kendall's response here. So great. Already rich. Absolutely true. We've said this multiple times during our recaps here. It's a fundamental aspect that this is all funny money. When you're already this rich, what is the point of any of this? And maybe it's just the game that ever matters. Shiv, who's been observing all of this, immediately can feel the temperature change within Kendall. They start to feel like this deal is at risk. They take a break. Everybody decides to sauna. I like Frank describing this as Peking duck hanging in the window. (laughs) All these men in an open sauna, sweating for everybody to watch. Maybe I'm second guessing too much, but I start feeling like everything Matson's doing is a performance or just a game. Maybe it's just a way for him to keep himself entertained. He does have this awkward interaction with Ebba she makes some joke that it's all going in my book, or he's going to pay me off handsomely if I ever leave the company. And it's as if he's intentionally introducing Shiv here, who he's connected with again at this lunch event, to meet Ebba briefly. Once again, is this just is this legitimate what's going to happen later, or is this purely a manipulation? Shiv also bristles a little bit at Matson feeling out, is the deal there? She just says, What am I, the messenger girl? Once again, honestly, what is on her mind? But like her dad, speaking her mind and not necessarily trying to play an agenda and seeing if that works politically. So over the course of this episode, maybe we see Shiv become more savvy about how she uses her obtuseness here. That night, Kendall and Roman are talking. He asks, what would dad do in this situation? Whatever he wants to. And as was kind of hinted at during those interactions with Madsen, Kendall is ready to blow this whole thing up. Roman's uncomfortable with folding ATN into the deal. So he reluctantly goes along with this as well. It seems like he'd rather blow up the deal, then lose ATN. They speculate as to whether they should bring Shiv into the conversation, call her by her child nickname. I just think... What?
2: Can Pinky dance? I mean,
3: no, obviously not, but...
2: You like it, though? Go from fucking Weekend Warriors to Boston full-time?
3: Hmm. It's
2: dad's deal... Just, it feels,
3: fucking do the deal. Finish his breakfast, you know, I don't know. What do you think he would do?
2: What do I think he would do? Yeah. Have exactly whatever the fuck he wanted, right?
3: That's right. Well, we have to make him walk, right? So that he thinks it's his call? Yeah. I mean, if the old guard smells that we're getting smart, they're gonna shit their beans, go crying at the board, and we're fucking
2: toast. Oh yeah, sure. It's a fucking tightrope walk on a straight razor. 500 foot reputational drop. Okay,
3: why is that making you smile? That shouldn't make you smile. Who likes tightrope walking a straight razor? Nutbag?
2: I just think it's fucking feel the force time. Choose our adventure. Full bore. Fuck the living shit out of this thing. You with me?
3: Yeah, let's do it. Let's take it. Let's fucking do it.
0: Now, this is a tightrope walk indeed. Matson has to walk away from the deal. The board's going to want that price. They're going to take it. And Kendall is loving this. Once again, revealing maybe the addict within coming out. This is the juice, as they say. It's the excitement over potentially blowing it all up. And what is Kendall's agenda here? Does he want to prove that his dad was wrong, that he could do it better than his dad? Does he secretly, self-destructively, maybe like an addict, want to blow everything up, blow his reputation up, as he says, and the deal, and the reputation of the company? I mean, I really feel like he doesn't maybe even understand what he's doing here. There's obviously the p- potential that he ends up CEO, he gets to run the company, not be a weekend warrior, but be a full-time boss, build the company the way he had told his dad so many times before the company should grow and what the company should become, just to prove that he's Right. But it's not like he can do this in a vacuum. Or maybe they think they have more power than they actually do. And I think maybe that is the reality that this whole episode comes to in the final moments. Mattson decides to meet with Shiv once again, or they've continued to hang out beyond that initial meetup earlier in the the episode. He wants to know, is the deal still okay? Obviously, that interaction earlier, he felt did not go well. Shiv says, I think if you go up meaningfully on the price, you're going to get the deal over the line. He teases her, oh, thank you, top mind. You mean if I keep raising my price, eventually they'll sell to me? Now, once again, I think I might be overreading things, possibly, but I do continue to think that Matson is just making a giant game out of this because he comes up with this story saying that he'd had an affair with Iba, had started to harass her by sending <laughs> large blocks of his blood, and he's asking, how do I get out of this situation? And once again, I think this is all a test. He wants to see the executives there decide who makes the kill list, who does not. And he's feeling Shiv out here. And I don't honestly take him at face value here. That he has continued to send her these bricks of frozen blood. And he's like, I just like deny the whole thing if it comes out in the public, right? Shiv says, I don't know, considering she has all this blood product of yours. (laughs) It would be a little hard to deny it at this point. And he gives her some sound advice. You should, if you needed to, reach out to Jerry. She's good at these type of things. You could do a catch and kill on the story itself. Pay her off. Do not fire her. Absolutely do not fire her. So once again, is he looking at Shiv as being potentially a good ally here long-term, but of course, in this moment, against her brothers? And once again, I wonder if he's testing. I'm sure they all have dossiers on each other. Are there rumors that she might be pregnant? And here he is offering her coke, which she does not take after fidgeting with it. And nurses a drink, which he barely touches or barely drinks, if she drinks at all. So once again, I'm very confused in a positive way. Is this all an act to feel out Shiv and feel out the executives based on her answers? And then feeling out the brothers, does he get a sense that she's had this conversation with them? Is she trustworthy or has she communicated any of this to them? Or I honestly thought at this moment, is he trying to blow up the deal? Why would you, about to make this purchase reveal all this information to to Shiv. It doesn't help your case to know that you have potentially a harassment case on your hands. I honestly think it's all those things at the same time. This is all Mattson just being a chaos agent and seeing how it feels. He's just feeling out the deal. How does this feel after each one of these antagonisms that he performs? He compliments her saying that I like you, you like your dad. She takes all that in obviously all the problems she had with her dad. It's a very important moment here in the show, I think, because it shows her duality. She hated her dad. She loved her dad. She aspired to be like him. She's afraid that she's like him. Kendall and Roman roll out Operation Blow Up the Deal. They tell Greg he's going to leak information about the bad blood that's going on, bad chemistry at the retreat, and plan to show a preview, a rough cut of the terrible three-hour sleeping robot movie. But to the executives, they seem confident about making a deal, Kendall and Roman meet with the executives, the other executives. They're worried about their messaging, but 146 for the business without ATN, the original deal, or some crazy premium if they want to fold in ATN. They seem relatively comfortable with this. And Roman and Kendall head up on that gondola one more time to the top of the mountain for our next negotiation scene. Before then, we have this really interesting interaction between Shiv and Tom. What are, you t-
2: what are you telling me? What are you
3: telling me? I'm helping you, Tom. This is why people don't take you seriously. Cause your shoes is a fucking white. <gasps> Ow!
2: Your earlobes are thick and chewy. What the fuck? Yeah, like barnacle meat. How was your little chat with Lucas?
3: He's good. Yeah. I mean, he's boring, but he's very conventionally attractive. He's broad. I used to think you were broad, but you're you know, compared to him, you're wiry.
0: A few funny things here. One, Tom's. Need to impress, very concerned about his perfect white sneakers. Shiv's very immature reaction to try to scuff up her sneakers and his reaction to immediately protect them. And then flicking her earlobes. <laughs> They're too meaty. This is all like playground stuff. And we see that Tom is actually jealous of her meetup with Lucas Matson the night before. And she insults him saying, you know, he's much broader than you are. I thought you were broad, but you seem wiry in comparison to him. I do want to mention this, by the way. I had joked with Sona last season when we saw Skarsgård join the cast that he looked especially puffy and uh, by his standards unattractive. And in these episodes recently, he seems very fit. I know he got into very good shape for making that film, The Northmen. And it's as if he preserved his trimmer and more muscular physique in a way to almost intimidate them, make him even more imposing. He's already taller than they are and much broader, (laughs) as uh, Ship mentions here, using his physical dominance, his Vikingness, to intimidate these smaller people. Once again, on that gondola ride, once again, communicating with Connor. Roman receives a text of his father's body, I assume in the casket, and this begins to unravel Roman. When they get to the mountaintop, they are so transparently trying to sell this, you don't want ATN. They so transparently are trying to blow up this deal at this point, and Madsen sees right through them. He calls them. What are you, Scooby Doo? Like, how immature are you? You think I can't see through this? This showing me the rough cut of the movie, talking about all the problems you have with the, the cruise lines and all the, the logistics of the company. And he's saying we need this deal done immediately. And Kendall's being like, Yeah, yeah, immediately, but but slow. But you know, slow. He's like, You don't think I see what you're doing here? And speaking of mirroring scenes, here we have Matson again, urinating in front of them, recalling that. Seen all the way back in season three, I guess it was now, where Roman and Matson bonded by the urinals. And what finally sets off Roman, first he calls his dad a prick. Not sure his dad would take offense to that, by the way, but Rome does. He says, Your dad would be ashamed of you. Do I need to go around you? Do I need to talk to the olds? And he walks past them to urinate against some rocks. And this, of course, recalls Roman's first day meeting him by the urinals, that conversation they had by the urinals when they first bonded. And Rome cannot contain this anymore. His frustration with the situation, his upset over the passing of his dad, it turns out he had not pre-grieved at all.
3: Um, hey, I was just thinking, do you remember when you asked when my dad was going to die?
1: Yeah, that was a joke, Rome. Uh
3: You really couldn't push this a week, could you? You just couldn't, like, there was no part of you that could just be like, hey, let's reschedule and move this because, you know, their dad just died. And, you know, I mean, my sister's kind of She's fucked up about it, and her brother's a mess, and I'm fucking, I'm gone. I'm like, I'm on the fucking, I'm dead. It's over for me. It's okay, it's fine. But you just drag us out here, you inhuman fucking dog man, you.
1: Crazy. Thank you brother.
3: You You fucking killed him, too. You're the one who did it. You just, and you did. You drained the life out of him. You dragged this thing out for six fucking months, and then you bring us out here now. You couldn't wait like a few days. You actually couldn't do that for us. No idea, huh? God. Yeah, shut the fuck up, man. We're not selling to you. Okay? We're not doing that. We are gonna grind you down, man We are sand in the gears. Every email is gonna take like six months We're all gonna spend hundreds of millions of dollars and in the end you're gonna get fucking bored and move on. It's not happening, okay?
1: Really?
3: Yeah Yeah, I fucking hate you And if you tell the board at any of this, I'm just gonna say it was a negotiating tactic and you know what? Maybe it is, but it's not so fuck you.
1: Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. You just fucked yourself. Did I? Good. Really? Yeah. Good. Did you did you hear what Did you hear what little brother what said? I said? Did you hear it? Was that clear? Yeah.
3: You know, it's uh it's a negotiating tactic, you stupid cunt. All right. It is. Okay. You piece of shit.
0: I could spend a whole episode just talking about this interaction because there's so much going on here. Lucas legitimately upset with how unprofessional Roman is being, but calling him out legitimately on everything. Roman obviously not able to be professional in this moment. This is all business. Even him getting under your skin is part of the negotiation. Roman, in a way, is smart enough to say, "You know what? This could all be an act. My emotional reaction to this could simply be a way for you to pay more for the business." And Mason saying, "Oh, you are fucked. If this comes to light, you are obviously not working on behalf of the board." and your stockholders. This is pure personal vendetta. Kendall says, well, that's not the way we wanted this to go, but maybe it plays. <laughs> maybe indeed. They wait for the gondola to come back up the mountain slowly. Matson flies away. Yet another power move here. Flies away in his helicopter while they take their long ride down the gondola ride and consider all this. They get on the plane. They're like, how are we going to tell everybody this whole deal got blown up? Frank gets a phone call from Matson. It worked, boys. You guys are incredible. 192. Holy cow. You guys did a great job. Your dad would be so proud. What an incredible turn of events. Shiv's obvious advice to him before is all he needed to do. Give him enough money. The brothers will be completely on the outside looking in. The brothers are miserable. Shiv goes to see Tom, messes it with him a little bit more. She goes, this is painful, Tom, but I'm going to have to have a conversation with you. Tom assumes he's about to get the ax. But no, she's telling him he's got to fire Sid because of the coordination she's been doing with the Republican candidate. And she wants to have dinner when they get back to New York, probably letting him know that he's got a child on the way and that she's going to manage his access to the child. Matson asks Shiv to take a picture of the brothers. He wants to see them receiving this offer for more money they could have possibly imagined and absolutely miserable about it. And Jerry gets the list, the kill list. Highly provisional, everybody, just initial, but we know this is probably going to shake out. Ray, Mark, Hugo, Frank, Carl, all gone. Jerry and Carolina, and Shiv, of course, and also, surprisingly, Tom. They all survive. And you see that behind the scenes here, despite the fact she didn't get tons of screen time, Shiv is the one with the power in this situation. Everybody, Shiv sheds some light on, or Tom being associated to her survived and everybody everybody else is gone except for the co CEOs who are licking their wounds and once again on the outs, despite retaining momentarily their titles. And that's the kill list, and that's the end of the episode. Next week we see some scenes. is doing some kind of event probably to introduce him as the new owner of the company. And Kendall's pulling some kind of ego trip or maybe trying to blow up the event, but I'm not sure this deal can be blown up at this point. I think we're starting to see thematically, maybe the core theme of the show at this point, that it simply is impossible for these people to be happy, even when they get what they want. There's also something very satisfying to see that these siblings and their dad has taught them this, that he can't be pushed around. This company is so powerful, so untouchable, that they get to push around everybody else. But really behind the scenes, Logan has slowly, even when he was alive, obviously, had lost more and more control of the company he wasn't the majority holder anymore he wasn't even he and the family were not the majority stakeholders anymore by the end so this idea that roman for example thinks he could just make a decision i'm not selling to you game over is betrayed here in the end mattson has so much more money their stock is so much more valuable than the royco stock that he can easily increase the price by five percent by ten percent and it doesn't necessarily hurt his bottom line that much Whereas they're in a situation where they desperately need to make this sale. And that's the other overestimation of the value of their hand. They think they can make this unilateral decision. The reality is someone else will buy the company. The reality is the board will vote for the better price. They'll just take the money and run. The reality is that Joe Schmo, person who owns the stock as part of their portfolio, will sell it to get a good price and cash out. And if ATN goes away or changes its programming, they stop being this red meat for these conservatives, they'll simply start shifting over to Breitbart or to OAN or to some of these new right-wing media startups, which is already happening. So their assumption that they are so untouchable when they are just a company that's being sold at the highest price is such a rude awakening for them. And I find it really satisfying in this moment. So yes, I'm really, really interested now to think what is the rest of the show going to be? How are they going to tie in the election thematically, not only like just showing the election results, which is somewhat interesting, but how does that dovetail with the themes of this power struggle for the company itself? So I'm very interested to see that. And of course, to see how this shakes out with Matson. I honestly don't know how they could possibly blow things up now, even if they wanted to. Even if Kendall throws himself under the bus and says, look, you don't want to buy this company. Look at this terrible thing I did. Even if he outs his own skeletons, the death of that waiter at Shiv's wedding, even if he somehow thinks he can blow up the deal, the simple fact is that Matson is going to buy the company. So who cares about the Roy siblings? They won't matter anymore. And if there is some plot internally to uncover all of the scandals that have been buried for years, decades from within the company... This will simply just drive down the value of the company, and Matson or someone else will simply buy the most attractive parts and strip the thing down to nothing. So yeah, it looks like Roman and Kendall are pretty much screwed and stuck in this situation. But I'm sure there are other twists to come, and I don't know what they are, which is very exciting. And we'll all know in the next five weeks, because there are only five episodes left. What a thrilling prospect.